My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Brian Nosick is a social cognitive psychologist, professor at the University of Virginia, and co-founder and director of the Center for Open Science. And in 2011, Brian and his colleagues launched the Reproducibility Project, which would ultimately transform science forever. I hope you enjoy learning from Brian Nosick today, because I always do. Brian, it's great to see you. We have a number of overlapping colleagues. I've known about you for a while, but we've never met, so it's great to connect today. Glad to be on it. So thanks, Nate. Glad to chat. Well, Brian, you've had an incredibly productive career and an impactful career. And as you think back, what lessons have you learned that you would most like to pass on to others? Uh, There's, I think, one underlying lesson in thinking reflectively on experience and on observation that sticks with me is something that I think is worth others considering. And that is we can't control our reputation, we can control our integrity. And there's obviously a lot to unpack there, but that's that's the core message for me is that the reputation is about how others perceive me. My integrity is the thing that I get to decide myself. Here are my values, here's what I'm about, here's what I think is how I should act, how I want to act, how I'm trying to act. And I can hold myself accountable to that. But if I spend my time worrying about reputation, how others are going to assess my actions, then I think I get led astray in my experiences and where I've seen others. I get led astray from what I actually think is the important part of me, of what I value, of what I'm trying to be as a person. Because sometimes the reputational stakes suggest avoiding risk, which is don't do the thing you think you should do because you think people might be mad, or actually deviating from values because that'll keep other people happy in some way. So without examples yet, that's sort of the the core thing that I think about day to day on a a life lesson. Yeah, it's... It reminds me of something from sports psychology that I've been hearing a lot that I didn't hear when I was a kid. When I was a kid, uh, Michael Jordan was popular, and everybody had just always talked about how Michael Jordan would will his way to championships. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that's what I had to do. So I am going to will my teams to state championships. And then when I didn't do it, I was like, oh, am I just a failure? But in hindsight, there were just there were a lot of things that were outside of my control. I was a, a five eight hundred and seventy five pound kid who couldn't jump very high. I'm I'm. It's going to be really hard for me to wheel my team yeah. to a basketball state championship and in a football. You know, got sixty other players on the team, and I love this in terms of thinking about our integrity. Trying to control our reputation is outside of our ability to control, but we can control the integrity. So yeah, I would love to hear specific examples of this is ways that you apply this more practically. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we can try to find some specific examples, but what often comes up, let's say in the research context, 
So one of the things that I care about is integrity and credibility of research. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people are in situations where they observe things that don't behave according to the principles of science as they understand them. So they say, boy, I've got a, you know, a colleague that is reanalyzing this data multiple ways and deciding to kind of exclude some stuff on the slide to make his findings look better. I don't feel real good about that. I'm observing it and that doesn't seem to be the right way to do research. Now, how does one deal with that situation, right? The, if you've observed this in somebody else, you know, the, or as part of your own work, now, what do I do in relation to them? Or even more personal, I need to get certain kinds of findings to advance my career. And if I do a couple of things of twisting the data this way or that way, I can get those certain kinds of findings. But that twisting this way and that way undermines what I think of as good practice for research. So now I've put myself in a bind of to get the rewards I need. Other people will think I'm really smart if I find this amazing relationship and I'll get a job and I'll keep a job. So my reputation mistakes, I think, are about do the manipulation of the data so that I can get a job and advance my career. The integrity stakes are do your science the best you can. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> what happens is what happens. Uh, and that divide, I think people really wrestle with of, well, maybe I just need to kind of give in a bit on my integrity because I, I want to have a job. I want people to respect my findings. I want people to think I'm smart. And I think in the short term, that feels compelling, right? It feels like, yeah, I mean, career aspiration, I, I have to have a job. So that's the way the game is played in science. So I'm going to play the game, even though I don't think it's how it should be played. But the long-term view for, for me in that particular context is I think my reputation in broad scale is really derived from how I focus on my integrity for myself, that I stay consistent with what I think of as core values, how I think I should do things. And by maintaining consistency with that integrity, yeah, I may not get that great finding, but maybe downstream people say, you know what? He's a really good researcher. He's He's committed to rigor. He's committed to accuracy. He's committed to the values that he holds himself to by trying to be someone that operates with integrity. And so the, it's sort of, in one way, that simplistic phrase of you can't control your reputation, you can't control your integrity, is really, with, for, in my mindset, is, is, a, is in the short term. Because the longer term, I think the reputation derives from the consistency yeah. uh, with of integrity. Yeah, I, I love that framing. By focusing on the reputation, we're tempted to take shortcuts and try to control something that we really can't control in the first place. Yeah. And in the long run is also, in all probability, going to do us more harm than good. Uh, end up undermining. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is really interesting coming from you given your work with the reproducibility project. Now, many of the listeners 
on this podcast will know exactly what that is. But for those who don't, could you describe what the Reproducibility Project is and how it got started and your role in it? Yeah, so the the origins of the Reproducibility Project are the observation in research that people advance their careers by publishing, regardless of whether or not it's true. Uh, of course, researchers want the things that they study to be true. They want to advance knowledge. Nobody goes into academic research to say, I, I love writing papers and going through revisions thousands of times. Oh, they go in because we're curious, we want to discover things, we want to figure things out, et cetera. But the reward system that we're embedded in is about publication. Publication is the currency of advancement. Uh, and so because of that, certain kinds of things are more publishable than other kinds of things, which might lead me as a researcher to make choices and rationalize those choices that advantage publication over the credibility of the findings. So that's the general context in which the Reproducibility Project emerged saying, there's lots of debates about whether that reward system context really actually damages the credibility of the research. Is it the case that findings aren't as, as reliable as we think they are? So we said, well, maybe we should check. I mean, this is science after all. Let's collect some data, take some findings from the published literature, try to conduct the methodologies again as best we can and see if we get similar results as the first time. And so we organized a crowdsourcing project where ultimately 270 uh, people were co-authors to this project where we did 100 replications of findings in three psychology journals. And what we found was that less than half of them across a variety of criteria replicated successfully the original. Now, that doesn't mean that half of the original findings are wrong because we might have screwed up something in the methodology. There might be different conditions that the finding is reliable and not reliable. But it was nevertheless a surprising result for the field to say the base assumption that everything in our literature is reliable may not be correct. And in fact, the, mag the, the may be an exaggerated view of what the actual evidence base is. And we have since done replication projects like this several times across a variety of social behavioral sciences, and even one that we published a year before last in uh, called the Reprodu Reproducibility Project Cancer Biology, where we did preclinical research uh, related to cancer and found very similar results, suggesting that this challenge uh, is pervasive. So relating back to this controlling reputation and integrity, the, my experience and many of the experiences of people who were involved in this work and who have been involved in trying to reform and improve the research process more generally has been uh, risky in the sense that people got upset about conducting replications of putting a critical lens to our field to see how credible it is to gather evidence for improving research credibility. And so, for example, when I was starting the reproducibility project, uh, I would get senior colleagues saying to me or saying to others that then got back to me, what is he doing? He's going to ruin his career. You know, everybody's going to hate him. I get anonymous emails of people saying, why are you doing this? This, this is a terrible thing uh, to do. And if I was worried about reputation primarily, yeah, 
never would have done that project. Like, no way. <laughs> because people were mad. Uh, and people that were my senior colleagues that I respect and wanted their approval were mad. Yeah. Uh, but for what I thought was the right way to do science, which is if you think there might be a problem, you study it. What I should do is obvious, which is, yeah, of course, keep studying this. This is important. We need to find out. Maybe it'll show that everything is credible. Maybe it won't. We need to know the answer to that. So to me, the path of following principles was obvious, but it was against and a lot of early career researchers that collaborated with, I was, I was already tenured when, you, when I started, but many of the early career researchers that participated in the project did so against resistance, mm. did so because they thought it was the right thing to do, not because they were going to get popular for doing it. And that to me is the, you know, the pride that I have in that project is all of these collaborators, especially ones that were at risk, who said, no, this is this is the right thing to try and investigate. We're going to do it the, the highest standards we can. I have to say, this shook my world because mm-hmm. I started my PhD in 2013, and wow. one of one of the reasons I got into social psychology was because I loved all of these amazing findings that were so counterintuitive. <laughs> And there were all these really interesting studies. And then you and your colleagues published this paper in science. And it just like, you know, rocked my world a little bit. Like all these things that I thought were true, many of which were the reasons I'm doing my PhD, didn't replicate and don't replicate. How did you feel about that? as you were going through it? Uh, simultaneously terrible and empowered. Um, the terrible part is that, you know, is the, no one wants different parts of things that they're invested in is like, cause I believed a lot of these things too. Uh, some of them I still do. I think they are replicable under mm-hmm. some circumstances and not others. Uh, but, uh, but the, on, there was a, a grounding of the evidence that was exciting and felt important about what our field was discovering. And these replication projects at least suggested, slow down, folks, slow down. Like, let's really make sure we've got this before we say, here it goes there and let's extend it here and let's apply it in uh, policy and practice. And so that that felt bad to be seeing that happen. The empowering part was that everybody knew already that some of these things were not real. Like this is this is the sort of the frustration of the inertia of the research culture, which is a lot of the most prominent findings were the kinds of findings that at the hotel bar at the conference SPSP uh, for social psychology being one of the main ones. That's where you talk to everybody about, oh, yeah, we tried to replicate that. No, couldn't do it. No, yeah, no, it didn't work when we did it. And I'm like, you know, I'm at these, you know, especially when I'm in grad school, I'm listening to these faculty members have these conversations. And I'm like, oh, if I wasn't sitting here, I would not know this. (laughs) And it's not in the journals. No one's talking about this in the public setting. They're all privately saying, oh, yeah, that goes nowhere. 
And like there was one finding that's a prominent one is this, uh, you know, priming people with concepts of old age leads them to walk more slowly. That was one of them. <laughs> right. This is this is a classic finding in the behavioral priming type of literature that is close to my area of work. And I had a member of my lab when I was in grad school. I'm hearing people at the, at the bar saying, yeah, yeah, we tried it. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. A member of my lab, grad student, was spending months trying to use that paradigm to test a variant of the question. She was wasting her time. Uh, And we didn't know. How would we know? Like, oh. So the empowerment from that frustration was now we're tackling. Now we've got a community of, of energy, like a collective action to say we can do this better. And the consequences of the project and the movement more generally, I think, has been very positive in trying to promote more rigor, more credibility, and more transparency of when things don't work. So we can see it. You know, I think this is, it does such a good job of illustrating your key lesson, because this replication crisis, as it's been called, like you've said, is, is there are concerns about it in other fields as well. Yeah. In the short run, it undermines the credibility of science. Yeah. It, it rocks our world. Yeah. In the long run, it provides credibility to science. Right, exactly. And social psychology, it felt like we were losing our entire credibility as this movement became a public discussion. Uh, I never felt that, although I recognize the risk of it, uh, because, of course, this can go down uh, the drain, as we say, of our, some of our findings are replicable. Uh, and so people say, oh, okay, right off that field. Don't do any of that anymore. But I think what we can say with some confidence in 2023, now 10 years post you starting grad school, is social psychology is perceived as a leader in this reform, that it is the field that bothered to look at itself and then identify some challenges and then take steps to improve because that's where the values were within the field, that a broad grassroots community said, we can do better, so we're going to do better. And now, as me and others uh, that are working on reform go out to other disciplines and are talking about these issues, almost always psychology and social psychology specifically comes up as a model. Man, us in heliophysics, how can we do things like social psychology is doing it? How can we get better? Like, come on, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's incredible. And this is uh, all framed within, well, all I'm viewing it all through the lens of your framework that you offered at the beginning, right? If we're worried about our reputation, we're never going to take a critical eye to the field of social psychology because that will destroy our field. Yeah. If we focus on our integrity, then we're going to take that critical eye. We're going to take a beating. Yeah. And then- predictably but maybe hard in the long run it's predictable that we're going to have more credibility but that fear of the short-run consequence just like overwhelms us because we could have predicted that we would be have more credibility right so it's just just fascinating i think your lesson and this story are just your story is such an incredible illustration of this lesson such a great practical application it's been quite a ride (laughs) <laughs> well, Brian, you have impacted my life 
through your research and you've had just an incredible impact on the scientific community as a whole. And it's, it's cool for me to see that one of the reasons you've been able to do this is because of this framework, this simple, practical, underappreciated framework of we can't control our reputation, we can control our integrity. So let's focus on that and let the chips fall where they may. And in the long run, because you followed that principle, you changed an entire industry. So it, it's just a real pleasure to be able to chat with you today, learn from you. Really interesting to kind of hear some backstory on this. So thanks so much for sharing your time with me today, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I'm certainly proud of the part that I played, but to to be clear, it was not been just me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a collective movement uh, and, and I'm delighted to have been part of it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. What a fantastic lesson Brian shared today. We can't control our reputation. We can control our integrity. In 2011, Brian launched the Reproducibility Project in an attempt to replicate 100 well-known psychological studies. Many people Brian admired told him that he was ruining his career. But Brian and his colleagues persisted and found that less than half of the 100 studies replicated. Brian's and his colleagues' research would revolutionize not only the psychology community, but also the scientific community more broadly, all because they focused on integrity over reputation. We can't control our reputation. We can control our integrity. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with two requests and one suggestion. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox each week, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. And now a suggestion. If you're like me and want to remember all the lessons shared in previous episodes, visit the List of Lessons page on my website, natemickle.com, to see all of the lessons that each previous guest has shared. Thank you for your support.